Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message with teaching pastor, Daryl Feemster. What do you do when you've prayed and 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 sometimes God doesn't seem to be hearing, answering, or at least some, you can't tell anything is happening. In fact, sometimes it seems like not only are we not getting any answers, things are not getting any better, but worse. I want to invite you to turn to the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament. Open to Psalms and go right. If you have your smartphone, type in H-A-B and uh, it'll take you there. We're going to be looking at the book of Habakkuk over the next three weeks. And... Uh, How would you like to turn your worry into worship? Or your sorrow into song? How would you like to turn your question marks into exclamation points? That's kind of what Habakkuk is about. Habakkuk starts out in sorrow and ends in song. It starts out in worry and fear and ends in worship and faith. Starts out with questions and ends in exclamations. Habakkuk. Are you anywhere close? Some people say, I ain't trying. Habakkuk was a prophet of God during a time of global uncertainty, economic recession, and social instability. Sounds like our news today, right? His name, Habakkuk, means to embrace. But it's not the hug kind. It's the kind a wrestler has when he gets a grip on you And he hangs on and twists in the hopes of winning. Habakkuk is a prophet who is wrestling with God. He's a contemporary of Nahum, Zephaniah, and Jeremiah. And we mostly remember Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet who prophesied that Israel, because of their sin, was going to go into captivity for 70 years. Habakkuk is a contemporary of Jeremiah, and Habakkuk gets a vision of this taking place. He has a burden, an oracle. He sees what's coming. Now, most of the Old Testament prophets, when you read the prophets, you're going to find that prophets are those who get a word from God and then say it to the people like, Thus saith the Lord, and they're speaking it out to the people. But Habakkuk is totally different. Habakkuk, he literally invites you into a dialogue. He is writing down what he is seeing and what he's saying and what God is saying to him. So literally, Habakkuk is a dialogue between Habakkuk and God, and it's written down for us to receive. And he's got some questions. Habakkuk gives his message between him and God based on certain questions which are perplexing him. It's like we get to read his journal. And the way I got to this series on Habakkuk is that I was writing in my journal in my prayer time and I was basically saying to God, God, where are you? you? What what are you doing? What are you not doing? And I had all these questions and and, uh, he just said to me, read Habakkuk. And uh, to be honest, I didn't go immediately there. It was after Pastor Chris a couple of weeks ago said, you need to read Habakkuk. And I thought, well, God, you said it, and now my pastor said it. I guess I better read it. And I found out that Habakkuk is a contemporary book in an Old Testament. 
because it has keys and principles by which I think will help us to know how to live in a day we're living in. So there's only three chapters. You can read it in a sitting. And we're going to cover chapter 1 this morning. Now, Habakkuk's questioning God. Questioning God. God, why, why aren't you doing something? Why are you inactive? Why are you indifferent? And Habakkuk is seeing, he gets this burden, he's seeing all the sin of, his, of, of, of God's people, and he sees what's coming. And uh, look at verse 2, because I, I found myself saying this prayer with him. Oh Lord, how long? How long shall I cry, and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. The prophet's language here describes and reveals the anguish, the struggle that he's having. The word, first, the word cry here, the first cry, means simply to call for help. But the second cry is a word that means to scream, to call out with a loud voice, of desperation. And he uses words like violence, iniquity, trouble, plundering, strife, contention. He's seeing all that going on around him. And God seems not to listen or to care or to do anything about it. Does God care? Does God care? But you notice where Habakkuk's eyes are focused. They're focused on the issues at hand. That's not wrong. But that's not the whole story. What's going on is not the whole story. What is even fixing to happen is not the whole story. There's a story behind the story. There's a story within the story of of God's presence and power. But Habakkuk is being shown, I believe, by God himself. In fact, Habakkuk says, why do you make me see it? He's letting him see what things were really like, not to confound him or to confuse him, but to draw him to relate and to come to know and experience God in a different way. And let me say this to you. When you have big questions with God, God rarely gives you an explanation. But what he wants to do is give you a revelation. Because I found out something. We can tear explanations apart and tell him why it won't work. But when you get a revelation, everything changes. So Habakkuk sees just how far things have fallen around him. Verse 4, look at verse 4. You're talking about reading the newspaper. There is the law, the, therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment proceeds. That word perverse judgment proceeds. Literally the word is perverted justice. Justice is perverted. The laws were ineffective. Unrighteous judges who would not uphold the law, they either ignored it or twisted it. And since justice was perverted, both life and property were insecure. Does that ever sound normal? Miscarriage of justice was the order of the day. Now I'm talking about God's people. Justice wasn't anywhere to be found. It had fallen in the streets, another prophet says. Because God did not punish sin immediately, men thought they could sin on without impunity or without punishment. They thought they were going to get a bye with it. You've got to come next Sunday to see what that answer is. 
The wicked appear to be uncontested. Habakkuk says, God, we're in a mess. And God seems to be doing nothing and is silent in human affairs. But folks, listen, God wasn't silent. In fact, He was shouting loudly in the current issues of that day and in the current issues of our day. And in verse 5, we hear His answer. Verse 5, Habakkuk says, Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. Boy, doesn't that sound like a great promise? When you read it, it sounds an incredible. Uh, be astounded. I'm going to do a work in your days that you would not believe it if, I were, if someone was to tell you. It sounds like a great promise until you read the next verse. Look what God's going to do. I'm raising up an enemy. The Babylonians, a cruel and violent people, they will march across the world and conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty and they do whatever they like. God was planning to discipline His own people by using the godless Babylonians. Your Bible may say Chaldeans, they're one and the same. He was allowing a people seemingly worse than the Jews to bring the Jews back to Him. They're animals. And it goes on to describe in chapter 1, we're not going to read it. They were a people without the influence of God. Romans 1 describes such a people as they're given over to a reprobate mind. They have no sense of God. And Habakkuk is shocked. What started out to sound like a great promise, I'm going to do a work in your day, suddenly turns into a... Shock. You're going to do what? And it led Habakkuk to another question. Not how long, but how can you? God, why, why are you being inconsistent? Look at verse 12. O oh Lord my God, my Holy One, You who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. But you are pure and you cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while this wicked, while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? I want to stop right there. Isn't it amazing that Habakkuk thinks the people of God are more righteous than the Babylonians? Isn't it amazing how we can make sure that we judge everybody else's sin but we stop with the silence on our own? The Babylonians were ignorant of God. God didn't mean anything to them. If they needed a God, they'd invent another one. But the people of God knew God and was sinning willfully. And thinking... Well, if God's not going to get the Babylonians, He won't get us. I can go mess with the other kings. I can mess with the world. It doesn't really matter. God's not punishing my sin. And we think we're getting by with it. Then all of a sudden, an enemy shows up. And suddenly, we're shocked that God would deal with our sin. You do know there's a New Testament passage that says judgment must first begin in the house of God. 
I found out that my, much of my prayers was wanting God to judge the world. And God saying, read Habakkuk. Why do we think we're better than the ones who don't know God? If we do what they do knowing God. Just a question. You see, this shouldn't have shocked Habakkuk. God promised it. God said in Deuteronomy, it's exactly what He warned them about through Moses. If they refused to listen to God, if they would turn their backs on God, if they forgot God, that's what it meant, that you just, you just act like He doesn't exist. If you forget God, God said in Deuteronomy 28, verse 49, Yes, God will raise up a faraway nation against you, swooping down on you like an eagle, a nation whose language you can't understand, a mean-faced people cruel to grandmothers and babies alike. They'll ravage the young with, of your animals and your crops and from your fields until they're, you're destroyed. They'll leave nothing behind, no grain, no wine, no oil, no calves, no lambs, and finally no you. They'll lay siege to you while you're huddled behind your own town gates. They'll knock those high, proud walls flat, those walls behind which you felt so safe. They'll lay siege to your fortified cities all over the country, this country that God, your God, has given you. God, how can you do this? Habakkuk doesn't deny the need, but the fact that he would use evil, he doesn't deny the need for the people to be disciplined. You see, he was saying that. I'm seeing this violence. I'm seeing all this. God, where are you? And God says, I'm coming. I'm coming, but I'm coming in the enemy. How could that happen? How can you use evil to accomplish it? God, can this be you? Lord, is this right? This whole issue has called Habakkuk suddenly to lift his eyes on what he sees before him and lift his eyes to see the majesty and the sovereignty and the righteousness of God. That's always good. How could a holy God allow a self-righteous, idolatrous, evil people to be used against his own? And he goes on to describe how evil they're going to be in these invaders and the helplessness of the people. He describes them as fish. And the idea here is that the Babylonians are fixing to come in and they're going to treat all the nations just like fish. They're just in it for the catch. They're just in it for the catch. It's kind of like they just throw it up on the shore, let it rot. It's not about that. It's not about you. It's about them. God, how can you let that happen? So Habakkuk in verse 17 kind of finishes up the first chapter and he says, will you let them get away with this forever? That's been written in my journal many times lately. Lord, are you going to let them get by with this forever? Will they succeed forever in their heartless conquest? We've all had those kind of questions. God, why does bad things happen to good people? Well, there's a problem with that. When are you going to find some good people? How come others seem to always get the breaks and we don't? 
Why do those who are living like the world seem to get all the benefits and we seem to have all the problems? Will you let them get away with it forever? I've been there, have you? And we're not going to cover it, but Habakkuk 2, 1, he gets up, climbs up into his watchtower, and he's going to wait to see what God's going to answer. And God doesn't give him an explanation. He's about to give him a revelation. You'll have to come back next week for the revelation. I want to show you the text of, and, and I said this in the first service, I have written down in my notes the text of Habakkuk, but I think it's the text of the Bible. The text of old and new. It's Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. And it says this, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Message translation says it this way, Look at the man bloated with self-importance, full of himself but soul empty. But the person in right standing before God through loyal and steady believing is fully alive, really alive. What's it say? If If we're going to live with power and presence in these days, our days, we're going to have to change our perspective from what's going on in the world to what God is up to. If you look at the current events of our day, you can easily be overwhelmed and become fearful and doubting, questioning God and accusing Him for not being involved. But He is involved. He's right in the middle of your history. He's leading it and us to its fulfillment when He will consummate what He's already redeemed in Christ Jesus on a cross 2,000 years ago. God's not coming up with another better plan. He's already accomplished the plan. We've got to walk in it and walk through it. And we do it not by sight, but by faith. We do it not by figuring it out, but by believing God in the middle of when we can't see. Why is all this happening? Why is it happening to me? Why is it happening to you? Why is all this going on? Could it be that God is not trying to get the world's attention, He's trying to get the church's attention? Could it be He's trying to get our undivided attention? And I specifically mean those words, undivided attention. It's amazing we can give attention when we have a problem. It's amazing we can get attention when we get in trouble. But how can we live in such a way that God has our undivided attention? Not attention on Sunday. But I get up in the morning, He's got my attention. I walk through my day, whatever it holds, He's got my attention. I go to bed at night trusting Him to keep me and wake me up anew with my attention on Him. My attention. How does He get our attention? Undivided Could it be that He's bringing His redemptive discipline to a world that stands in rebellion toward His rightful rule of love? Parents, how many of you have used the counting down method to discipline your children? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Told you and I told you. I'm going to count to three. One, two, usually you don't have to get to three, right? 
Usually, by that time, they know you're serious. They know you're... And, and they go... Listen, if you get the three, go ahead and punish them. It's called rebellion. My daddy used to say, this hurts me more than it hurts you. I think he's lying to me. <laughs> but I've discovered something. When I had kids, it did hurt dad. And as a granddad... You don't even count. <laughs> so let me ask you, parents, why do you count? You love them. You don't want them to you want you don't want to discipline them. You want to get their attention, call them to recognize what they're doing and to hear and understand and respond. You want to give them every chance. God loves this world far more than you can conceive. He's purchased and redeemed it with His own blood through Jesus Christ. There's nothing more that He can do. He's giving every opportunity for man to change his mind and choose a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's counted how many times? One, two, and we'll have a little bit of a revival. We'll have a little bit of turning. Well, I'll try harder next time. I'll, uh, you know, well, I'll start reading my Bible. I've, one, two. It, it's amazing to me. You see, Habakkuk was living through that too. Through the reign of Josiah, they'd kind of turned around and they'd started and repented and they'd cast the idols, the idols in high places down. But Jehoiakim comes in and he just forgets everything jo- jo- Josiah was about. It's all about making money and getting ahead. And the next thing that's coming is an enemy. One, two, has he got our attention yet? He's warned us again and again. He's calling for our attention. He's given us every chance. There's three steps. These are not going to be on my notes or in on the say, but there's three steps found throughout Scripture for the fall of a nation. Three steps. It's found in the book of Judges, but it's found throughout the rest of Every time. Number one, the number one step is spiritual apostasy, which means you forget God. You turn away from God. Forget doesn't mean that he's, you're absent-minded. Forget means you turn your back as if there's no God. Number two, moral corruption. Number three, political anarchy. One, two, three. As bad as moral corruption is, that's not the root cause. As bad as political anarchy is, that's not the root cause. The root step is that they've turned their back on God. And we act as if God doesn't exist. That's the first step. The next step is just the revelation of the first. Few nations have survived. The only nation that really survives is the nation of Israel. After 70 years, they've turned, them, they've turned their face back to God. God help America turn its face back to God. God help the church. For judgment must first begin in the house of the Lord. God, wake us up. Give us your, give us, get our undivided attention. But preacher, we're believers. Will he destroy us? 
Listen, God doesn't discipline to destroy. He disciplines to deliver and to develop. God's given us every opportunity to grow up. Hebrews 12, verse 5 through 10 in the message. You don't have to turn there. It's going to be on the screen. Don't feel sorry for yourselves. Or have you forgotten how good parents treat children and that God regards you as His children? My dear children, don't shrug off God's discipline. Don't be crushed by it either. It's the child He loves that He disciplines. The child He embraces that He also corrects. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out, never quit. He's treating you... Excuse me. My machine messed up. He's treating you as dear children. The trouble you're in isn't punishment. Listen to that. The trouble you're in isn't punishment. It's training. The normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us. So why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we're children, while we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them. But God is doing what is best for us. Training us to live God's holy best. How many of you have asked God, I want your best? God says, okay. We quote this verse, Romans 8, 28. God causes all things to work together for those who love God and call according to prayer. Did you ever think that He would use an enemy to make it good? God causes. God is at work. He is right now working. Well, preacher, don't you think this is all happening because we're at the end of times and Jesus could be coming any day? Absolutely. Hebrews 10, 37-38 says this. The reason I said the text of Habakkuk was 2-4 and probably the text of the Bible because this same verse is used in Hebrews, used in Romans, and used in Galatians. Look at the Hebrews passage. Hebrews were going through all kinds of trouble and they were wanting to quit. They were wanting to quit. They were wanting to give in, throw in the towel, go back to the way it used to be. And look at what... Hebrews 10.37 says, For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Jesus could come at any time. That's not the question. The question is, how do you live in the now before he comes? You live by your faith and by your faithfulness. The ones who are right with God will live by faith, by purposefully relying and adhering to the truth and the life of Jesus Christ right in the middle of current events. The word live is not just to survive. It means to have the fullness of life that can't be stopped. No Babylonian can take away what God has put within me. If you want a promise of the power that is within you, 1 John 5, 4 says this, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. What's going to get us through? Our faith. What's going to come out of, in the end? Our faith. What are you going to lean on when it doesn't make sense? Our faith. 
I'm not talking about a mental ascent. I'm talking about a heartfelt lifestyle of believing God and acting accordingly. You focus on current events and you'll get depressed. I quit watching the world's news. I've decided I want to get news from a higher power. I upgraded my network. It's not wrong to know what's going on and be informed. That's not what I'm saying. But let me tell you, don't let that be the final answer. If you watch something that disturbs you, Take it to God and say, God, what does this mean? What do you say this means? And let me tell you, most of the time he'll say, absolutely nothing. <laughs> you focus on current events and you'll get depressed. If you focus on Jesus and let him fill you with that faith that overcomes the world, you'll stand when everything else is falling around you. Because you don't stand in yourself. Let me tell you By faith, when Christ comes to live in you, He not only takes care of the inside, He literally becomes the circumference to that which is all around you. There is a realm by which you can live in that it doesn't matter what's going on everywhere else. That thing will not touch you, cannot harm you. It may hurt your feelings, but it can't take away that which is essential to your living. Trust Him. What are you you saying to me today? Lift up your heads. Quit whining. I have a spiritual gift called whining. It's of the wrong spirit. Change your perspective. Let the Lord turn your fear into faith, your worry into worship, your complaint into assurance, and your depression into life. The Lord's here this morning. He's right at work in your life. He's at work in your circumstances. He's involved in your history. You say, preacher, I, you just don't know what I've done. No, you. here's the thing. You've got to go back to what he's done. He paid for it. He died to redeem you. He set you free and he's filled you with his Holy Spirit. Listen to him and respond. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we bless you and we thank you. We ask for you to meet our needs this morning and our greatest need is to see you. Lord, I've had questions like Habakkuk, but you're the answer. To look full in your face, to see you, to trust you, calms my fears, corrects my behavior, and conquers that which has conquered me. I love you, Lord. I want to know you. I want to trust you. I want to walk and look back one day and see, look what God has done. And we trust you to do it today. In Jesus' name, amen. In Hebrews twelve eleven, it says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but it's painful. Later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. If you need a little more righteousness, if you want more peace in your life, you just got to go through a little, little discipline and training.
It might not be pleasant, but the harvest that comes afterward, very pleasant, very peaceful. Daryl, thank you. That is a very timely word. A couple of quick announcements for you this week. Wednesday, April 14th, our marriage group that's called This, bring your spouse, meet with us at the house over at Common Ground, some brown house over here to the side. We will be having a potluck dinner. Bring just enough to share with a friend. You don't have to cook for everybody, but bring something that you would bring to a cookout. That's our theme. Weather's getting warmer. We're having a good time. We're going to have a cookout-themed potluck dinner, okay? And Saturday, April 17th, there's going to be an open house for NCC West, our new building. It's kind of self-guided. Just come between 2 and 4. That's a Saturday just come and walk through the new building. See what God has blessed us with. I have one more quick announcement. Okay. Thank you. He said, please pick up the chairs after the service for, is it for youth? They are doing youth here? Oh, Sparks, 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 Sparks. Okay. Um, so this is the one last announcement. We are going to have a ladies' night this Friday night at 6.30 here. And if you are a grandmother, a mother, a daughter, uh, junior high, high school, whatever generation, we are inviting you to come and join us because, you know, I wanted to say a couple other things. Worship team, you guys were awesome today. Uh, <laughs> I, I loved hearing the harmony of the voices. It was so beautiful. And um, Daryl's message was right on this morning. So I just wanted to say that um, just because for the vision that came out of this ladies' night was with this whole year of COVID, we have been tired. We have been worn down, and especially as ladies, we take care of our families or whatever we have going on in our lives. We're busy and we're tired, and so the vision for this ladies' night was to come together, reconnect, be refreshed, and be renewed together. So it's going to be a night of fun. We're going to eat together. We're going to have a panel of ladies, Beth Hensley and April Dwamina, and let's see, who else is going to be Linda Knoll and um, Allison Martin. There's going to be a generation of vast like generations on this panel so that everyone's represented. But um, we want you to come be a part. We're going to eat together, talk together, come to participate. You're not just going to listen to a speaker, okay? And we're going to play games with prizes. Everybody's going to leave with something. And um, we're going to have a time of worship. So please join us and sign up in the foyer um, so that we know how much food to, to get. We're going to have Schlotsky's dinner. So, all right. Friday, 630. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 